What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome to Art of One Broken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 89 of the podcast, and we are very happy you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We're going to be interviewing an elite player who has lost one or two games at a major event. We're going to break down the mistakes they may or may not have made and how they plan to learn from them. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? We've all done it. I've done it. Matt Morris-Solly has done it. We are going back one one more time, one final journey to Chicago to talk about Adepticon. We're going back to the one of the biggest original events in the United States, and we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite lovable faction, Tau, and we're going to be talking about them playing into the deadly, deadly, deadly Iron Hands in the top 16 battle. Now, this is part one of the podcast, and this part we'll be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes, secondaries, and target priority. And part two is available to subscribers at the Patreon of the Competitive 40K Network slash 40 art of war 40k we will be talking about how his list plays in your list my list every single list under the sun we're going to talk about list adjustments new strategies we may touch into 10th edition a little bit we're not going to talk under any circumstances about age of sigmar in this episode but don't forget the last little bit of it which is the elite player mindset now my co-host comes from a land down under i of course am talking about the country of austria i would like to introduce the champion of the world the champion of australia mr matt morisali well we have recorded a couple of episodes this week getting that that content ready to go and i just somehow seem to have gone from europe to uh the the australasian content so i must have been busy flying and and whatnot um, i like to combine just, them all together make it one giant country australia 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 yeah yeah their their flag is yellow and green slash Aust- white slash red i think i don't know you put a bunch of stuff in there and uh I'm gonna get I'm gonna get that combined flag on my back. It's gonna be the Austria Australia combined flag on my back whenever uh, Matt wins LVO this year. So, dude, like at some point people are gonna get sick of the Aussie jokes, but you know what? We haven't we're not quite there yet. So I reckon we're we're, we're good. We're good for a, at least a couple more episodes. Yeah, we're just, flirting uh, on the edge. Make yet. Australian make Australian jokes. I'm with it. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm great. I'm living that bogan life, you know, just uh, living in the middle of nowhere, doing my thing, you know. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Our guest today is a first-time Unbroken guest, and I'm very, very excited about this. This is a player who has actually been doing really well for the last two years, but the thing that kind of overshadows all that is just how exceptional he paints models. He has a beautiful, 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 absolutely gorgeous Great Night Army, and he has a wonderfully converted, beautifully painted Tau Army that he has been wrecking through players in the last year. I am talking about Mr. Jeff Hill. Hello. Jeff, I think you're on Yep, thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, man, it's great to have you on finally. I know you're you're one of those white whales I've been trying to uh, to bring on for about a year now. So whenever I saw you in the top sixteen of Adepticon, I was like, I hope you don't lose, but if you lose, you're definitely coming on the show. So, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's great. 
you lost you lost to a uh, to a an unbroken alumni. I think he's been on our show two or three times, uh, Mr. Oliver Smith. So I'm going to be excited to break down that list and kind of see uh, see what happened with that game there. I feel like I have a very good inclination with it being Adepticon. Let's just run through again for those who haven't listened to the other episodes. Tell us a little bit about the terrain and how it may or may not have affected how effective your uh, your towel list was. Uh, yeah, I mean, with the game with Oliver, he's also, you know, he's a friend and a teammate on uh, Tundra Tactics. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the terrain, uh, we both had uh, two line of sight blocking uh, pieces each. Uh, there were, uh, you know, ruins and then, like, a, it's like a large hill or something and, like, uh, one piece of dents, I believe, and then, like, these two other, like, smaller uh, light pieces. Um but yeah, that was uh, that was about it for the the terrain portion. Uh, I think he got first drop, uh, and then we just kind of were going through the motions there. Uh, we were playing on recover the relics, I believe, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it was very apparent uh, to both of us when we started uh, that whoever went first was going to have uh, a pretty big advantage. Yeah, I could see that. that. That was kind of the gist that as I was walking around the tables, uh, it was a kind of apparent walking around talking to people that first turn was really big at Adepticon. Did you play any games where you went second leading into those first four? Yeah, I believe I went second uh, into my first game uh, with uh, Tyranids. And uh, that one was still probably, I don't know, like uh, probably about three pieces of obscuring on that tape on like on my side that I had. Yeah. Uh, so that was a little better. Um, but yeah, it, it was still, I don't know if it was that sparse. That one was probably all right. Yeah. That was kind of the, the word of the word of the day was kind of, sometimes there were some tables that were okay and you could get some good, uh, you know, second turn hiding. Uh, but there were some tables that are just so sparse. It was like, Oh my goodness, if I don't go first, I don't know what's going to happen here. So yeah, yeah, it was uh, a very fortunate in three of my games. Uh, after game one, I went first in uh, those three, and yeah, got first terrain placement on a few of those. So it was pretty fortunate, you know, Talot going first, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. with uh, Exemplar Kayon in there, it's, uh, it's even better. You know, you can just redeploy and get some great angles. Tell me a little bit. I'm actually really curious before we jump into your list and the game and all that. Tell me a little bit about how you conceptualize this army from a hobby standpoint, because despite you being an exceptional player, I mean, you've been finishing top 10 uh, top cut on several events in the last two years, but you're also always in the top cover paint and your army is just a really cool idea. So how did you conceptualize this Tau army and kind of tell us a little bit about it? Well, I started collecting it probably in like 2021. I just wanted to get something different. I was playing a lot of Marine armies and I just wanted to switch things up a lot. And, you know, what better way to switch things up than to like switch to a Xenos army? Uh, it's just like totally different from anything I was playing at the time. And uh, I just started collecting this stuff and just, you know, painting uh, whatever I wanted right off the bat. And then, you know, as the meta like starts to develop with the new codex back then, um, I would, you know, say, okay, look, it's, guess it's time to throw in some riptides in there. I guess it's time to throw in, you know, uh, and some more suits, of course. Uh, and then, of course, I think at the time, there weren't a whole lot of crew in stock. And I was like, well, crew are really good right now, so I need to get some crew, but I can't find any that are in stock. So I decided to convert them 
Uh, I'm a huge Dune fan, and a lot of the uh, those uh, Dusk Raiders had come out. Uh, so they kind of looked like Fremen or something from Necromunda. And uh, I was like, man, these look really cool. Like, they could be auxiliaries or something for, uh, you know, the Tau. And I could just use those as my crew. So I made a bunch of conversions uh, for my crew uh, using those Necromunda models. And uh, just, uh, you know, stuck with that theme for a bit. Uh, made, like, some custom crew hounds and whatnot. Oh, and I decided I needed crew hounds. It's just, you know, I just paint uh whatever i want uh, according to you know the list i want to play uh and of course the list just you know continues to develop and i just you know i'll add more to the map or add more to the army one of the things i thought was really cool i i love the necromunda dudes as a crew when i saw that i was like oh man like this is next level stuff it looked really cool and um one of the things I think is really cool is the Tau actually have auxiliary human auxiliaries. I forget the exact name. Someone's going to kill me in the comments on this, but they, either. <laughs> uh, they're called like God, God or something like that. But, but, uh, so I think that kind of fits the theme so well, like having these auxiliary human guys in there and they're all grimy and dirty and like, kind of just like the dust people. And I, I don't know, they, it just, they, the idea of them being crews is so cool. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. They are a bit expensive, though. <laughs> oh yeah, I can I can imagine they do they come they come in boxes of ten, which is okay, but they, I think they're still yeah. like sixty bucks a box or something, right, or something yeah. wild like that. But of course, there's like not enough rifles in there, and I want to make sure each model has a rifle. So of course, I went to like uh, like a, a Skitari kit and got some of those rifles, put those on there. Uh, got some extra shoulder pads for uh, Tau Fire Warriors, put those on there. So. For those for people who convert, I have to put this out there. The Skitari box is the gift that gives forever. Because that box comes with a million, a million bits like that, and the um, and the one, the what's it called, the Rustockers and all those guys. Like those two boxes, like I seriously have converted every single thing I've done in the last year, like out of random Skitari stuff. It's just amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Those kits are fantastic. I, uh, you're absolutely right. They just keep on giving. Uh, I have tons of those kits. I don't even have a Mechanicum army and I have like maybe five or six kits just for conversions. I have two unopened. I literally got two unopened boxes right now just cause like when you need them, who knows, you know, you can use a dude for some random like <laughs> diorama or what or dead bottle. It doesn't matter, man. They're just there. That's a value kit for sure. Absolutely. Matt, what do you think about that? You got any um, any insight on converting models? Have you done anything cool lately? Uh, I, I have been avoiding uh, really investing in anything while I wait for the ten thirds to come out. It just it feels like a bad time to um, yeah to go out and do something new. And like the armies that I own, I kind of I feel like I have everything for. I'm one of those guys who sort of like plays a faction and then ends up with everything for that faction. I've got to like I've got to have a really you know, a really strong idea about what I want to play and where I want to go before I commit to going and sort of doing anything. Uh, and then I go all in, right? But Are you a good painter? Uh, look, I used to be. Um, not so much anymore. You know, I, I took a big break from the hobby when I was sort of at the start of uni. Um, yeah, back, oh, that would be like eight years ago now. And when I came back, I was very much just, you know, airbrush the army, get it on the table. Um, I used to be. Uh, I used to be pretty decent, but, nice. uh, but not so much these days, man. I, um, there's a lot of things I sort of want to do, and then I paint half a model, and then I'm like, oh, I'm not very good, and I sort of just stop. <laughs> for my uh, for my Golden Demon intro this year, I actually made a um, 
I met a tech priest that had been like hooked up to a machine, had the life sucked out of him, and he was like powering the the uh, giant knight with like a Castellan robot coming out of it. And uh, the entire throne that, that was made around the tech priest was made from the swords of um, of the what they call the infiltrator box. So I'm telling you, man, you can use those things for anything. They were just the extra bits I had laying around. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. But tell us a little bit about your list, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's Farsight Enclaves, and uh, I think up until Adepticon, I hadn't really been playing Farsight at all. Uh, at a LVO, I've been playing uh, Talcept, and the two games I lost at LVO were against Farsight Enclaves, so I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I should make a change. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I started going with the Farsight Enclaves, and uh, I've got Farsight on there, of course, uh, and he's got the uh, Exemplar Amonka, and then I have the Burst uh, Star, or, you know, Cold Star with, like, I don't know, uh, High Output Burst, Burst, uh, the Thermal Pneumatic, you know, the... the high Output. Yeah, dude. everything, you know, all the rerolls. And then we've got um, a Cadre Fireblade in there, uh, and his whole job is to hold the EM Scrambler, the 12-inch, uh, you know, Deep Strike Denial, and also to hold um, Exemplar of Kayon. Uh, and then we've got one giant brick of, um, or one five-man brick, rather, of uh, Crisis Suits uh, with three shield drones. They're loaded out Burst Cyclic Plasma, uh, Target Lock. Uh, and then I've got the uh, Stim Injector on the Sergeant. And then um, I call them Sergeants. I know they're called something else. I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Then we've got a smaller uh, crisis suit unit that is used for drop site clear uh, that I almost always put into uh, Manta Strike, and that's uh, Burst, Cyclic, Flamer. And then I have a stealth suit team. They're just there for helping me out with, uh, you know, if I need to move block something or I need to do a secondary or, you know, just kind of utility piece for the most part. Um, and then... Uh, let's see, after that, we've got two units of Crute Hounds. Crute Hounds, like the best unit in the entire Codex. 24 points of just, you know, super fast and annoying uh, cheap unit. And then uh, we've got three uh, Riptides. Uh, they're all loaded out with the Ion Accelerator, uh, two Plasmas. Um, and they have Target Lock, Multi Tracker, and um, Velocity Tracker. And then, uh, of course, the uh, Infamous Bomber. Um, I just... I think the bombers are still pretty good. Having one in there at least has been doing pretty good. So yeah, that's the list. All right, mate. Be a car salesman and sell me on the sunshark because I don't see it. But I'm ready to be. I'm ready to buy a, a new sunshark. Got money burning a hole in my pocket, and I'm at the tower vehicle dealership here. Sell me on the sunshark. All right. So for Farsight Enclaves. Uh, generally, so I, I designed the list uh, just around playing in Cayune and playing to the strengths of Farsight uh, Enclaves. And basically what it is is like I'm waiting till like turn three to pounce and just do an insane amount of damage. The Sun Sharks are going to come in on turn two. And on turn three, they're going to move and they're going to be bombing something and they're going to be close to something and it'll be within that nine inch or you get plus one hit, right? All that good stuff. So you, it's going to its like maximum effect on that turn three, on the turn that I want to be doing the most amount of damage, and 
possible. Uh, you could also, it's really nice on like, uh, you know, like a turn four, you can like detach drones if you want from that in like a backfield situation and just be really annoying and just leave those there and then, you know, move the flyer elsewhere. Uh, it's nice for digging out, uh, units that I'm probably not going to get to later in the game where it's going to be difficult to dig them out. Um, it just seemed to flow really well with the synergy of the list and the games that I was playing. Yeah, I, I kind of see that. Do, do you find it lives? Like, do you find it doesn't just get shot on turn two when it comes in? <laughs> uh, very rarely, because I'm bringing it in on like my uh, edge, basically. Gotcha. Point. Yeah, so I don't think it's ever like in any of my games I've actually played this list. I don't think anyone has shot it off. I think, you know, if it gets shot off, it's getting shot off on, like, turn three or four. Yeah, cool. I mostly, like, say that, right, because, you know, when, obviously, the flyer nerf happened, uh, everyone sort of threw them out of their list straight away. Uh, and I saw a few people talking about how one of them was still good, but then Guard came in, and I was just like, oh, man, I feel like, you know, Lemon Russ is going to take one look at that thing and just say, no, nah, get off my table. Um, but, yeah, look, I guess you have enough other threats, right? Like, it's not always the easiest thing to shoot. Um, so I can appreciate that logic there for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't, to be fair, I think I've only played into like two pretty nasty guard lists with this list in particular. So yeah, that probably would happen. <laughs> you know, they'd probably look at it from across the table and be like, no, I'm not letting that live. Nah. Yeah. Oh, what's that? You want to come and bomb my mortars or my infantry squads or my, my command squad? That, that's not going to happen today. Yeah. Uh, like it, it just—it seems like a meta full of like kind of brutal shooting armies, right? Like there's, you know, these Iron Hands lists. There are other shooty Space Marine lists going around. Obviously, Guard is, you know, out in full force. Even like Gene Stiller Cult have a, a lot of shooting in the armies we're seeing at the moment. It, it just feels like a lot of the time it wouldn't get to to do what it wants to do. But like if you're having success with it, man, then you know by by all means, just because some people think a unit's bad or it doesn't really do the same job as it. Uh, it did before. It doesn't mean that's always true for all situations. I think um, I think it's really interesting because a lot of what you have in this list feels like it's very reminiscent of uh, kind of like the LVO meta, like kind of like the pre the pre arcs meta, where the big crisis suit unit in Farsight was a really common you know, thing to see. Um, but I feel like you've also got uh, a lot of tools to help you fight these, you know, these post armor of content marines, things like guard. You know, you you have great shooting profiles for guard the only other like list question i've got for you before we sort of break down matchups in part two is the flamers on the um on the second crisis suit unit because i was really hype on these uh back when you used to be able to get uh ap1 on them um through uh through mod car and obviously you can't do that anymore how do you find the flamers on that second unit do they they come in handy or are they more just for versatility to be able to kill different types of unit profiles uh they're cheap yeah. You know, plain, plain and simple, uh, it, it's supposed to be a really cheap unit that can come down and do as much damage as humanly possible. Uh, you know, it's like if I'm taking anything else, it's going to be like 10 points or, you know, if I'm doubling down on some, it's going to be more. So at five points, it's like, why not? Right. Uh, it, and you're usually just doing drop site clear. So you're just like re-rolling everything as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, that could be one area where it's like, if I could find the points, it might be better to like double down on like cyclic or a burst maybe, but you know, got to find the points. 
Yeah, sure. Like, again, that's that's a pretty fair uh, a fair assessment, right? It's just I haven't seen many people taking the flavors all that much now that you can't get an AP value on them. Um, but at the same time, you know, I see a lot of things in the meta where having flavors feels like they're nice to have, especially when you can, like you said, just re-roll everything and really get the max efficiency out of that uh, uh, out of that profile there. Yeah. Um, so I'll quickly run through the Iron Hands list you played into before we uh, break down the mission and the matchup and the secondaries and everything. Um, so we've got a, a Iron Hands successor here. It's Master Artisans. It's Whirlwind of Rage. Um, we've got the Captain on Bike uh, with Chapter Master, uh, a Fist, and Rights of War. Um, we've got two uh, two infiltrator squads with Helix Gauntlets. We've got the. Um, the good old three CP relic contempt of dread um, with uh, the hero of chapter march of the ancients, the Volkites um, and merciless logic. We have two squads of 10 scouts, which is pretty cool. Um, there's a thunder hammer in there. There's missile launcher in there. Um, there's eight boys with snipers in there. Um, both squads are the same. We've got a big unit of uh, Vanguard vets with lightning core storm shield and a single relic blade. I don't know why, but, that's cool. <laughs> We've got two single attack bikes, um, three land speeder tornadoes, and then a normal land speeder. Um, three squads of devastated marines. The first one is three grav, uh, one multi melter, one combi melter, one thunder hammer. Um, the last two squads are four last cannon, and then combi melter thunder hammer. Uh, and we have four land speeder storms, um, which I actually think this this is very very cool. I haven't seen anyone going all in on the land speeder storm tech. Um, but I actually really like this list. Uh, I obviously, obviously, we're going to talk about this game in a second. Obviously, we can sort of see what's going to happen here. It's definitely going to be a bit of a, a shooting gallery, given the the lightish terrain we're both dealing with uh, in this matchup. But this um, this Iron Hands list is really interesting. I feel like it does things a little bit differently to uh, a lot of the other ones we've been speaking about. You know, we had we had John Lennon on uh, about a month ago talking about his Iron Hands list, and this is very different to that one. Um, what's going to be your thought process going into this game? Like you get your table assignment, obviously you have a read through your opponent's list. Um, what are you sort of thinking about the game, man, before we, before we get the table and start setting up? Well, uh, yeah. So the funny thing is like they, they gave out pairings and, uh, it was Oliver and I, and, uh, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh man, that's a bummer. <laughs> Cause yeah, you know, we're teammates, we're, we're friends and it's like, Oh man, I wanted to hopefully play someone else, but we we're like, all right, well let's, let's do this. And, um, uh, yeah. And then we looked at our table and I think we were like, okay, so, uh, I think it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, whoever goes first here is going to have a massive advantage uh so yeah you want me to go into the game yeah so what what uh what mission did you uh, i think you said it before was it recover relics uh yes sir yep it was yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah cool um yeah man let, let, let's talk about uh let's talk about deployment and um and secondaries like what did you decide on for secondaries secondaries oh man uh let me see if i can remember i'm like 90 percent sure i took uh no prisoners uh, it was a it was a bad call, I think, too. It, there was there was no good like third choice for me because my first two are almost always going to be like decisive and aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, I always play for that. Uh, so 
I'm pretty sure it was No Prisoners. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. It's been a, a while since it happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's, that's all right. Yeah. Um, do, do you remember what your, your opponent took, or are we, we stretching the, uh, the memory too much? You're, you're stretching the memory there. I uh, honestly don't know if I'd be able to recall. You'd have to have all over it. Tell you do, do like everyone else does and just start making up three secondaries because uh, – yeah, let's just make them up, man. Let's just. Uh, what well, we- well, it's yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be Codex. It's gonna be oh, probably yeah. Oath here. Um, and what we're just gonna assume it was. I, I don't know, man. Well, look, I'm not gonna pretend to be the one in space. Oh, okay, there you go. There you go. Let's do that. Let's 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 say yeah. that. Let's just go there. I'm not gonna pretend to be in the mind of Space Marine players, but we're gonna go with that. Um, all right, cool. Then. Do you want to you talk us through sort of deployment and obviously the uh, the first turn roll off and how that first turn went? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that he got uh, first turn deployment. Uh, we put a piece of dents in the center, and uh, Oliver is very good at terrain placement, and he takes his time with that. I've learned actually a lot from him. The thing, like every time I play Oliver, uh, I learn something new. And so I was just kind of looking at this game as like, yeah, it's just another learning experience, you know, and uh, I'll do the best I can. And uh, hopefully I go first and, you know, uh, he makes a mistake here and there, highly unlikely, but you never know. And uh, so, yeah, I basically placed, he, he was very good about placing his two, only two pieces of obscuring terrain. One was kind of near the center and he had another one kind of right next to it. So he can place a lot of his stuff back there. And he was very careful about, okay, if you move over here, will you be able to see this, Jeff? Like, okay, no, I won't. Okay. Uh, and I had uh, one piece of obscuring over one of my objectives on my side of the table. Uh, the other one was stretched between two, uh, just about. The mistake I made when I was deploying my terrain, uh, generally speaking, when you want to, when you're playing Tau, you want to get that nice, like, 18 inches from point to point. So if you start the game behind a piece of uh, obscuring and you measure 18 up the board, will you be able to draw a line of sight to something in his army? Uh, I didn't do that. Instead, I kind of put my obscuring back a little too far. Uh, I probably should have put it up a little further to get a little bit closer to him just so I could get those better lines of sight and you know, still be safe behind, uh, behind obscuring. Uh, but once we had all of the terrain down, uh, we rolled to go first, uh, he got first and I had all my army deployed basically right on the line, uh, basically telegraphing that like, Hey, if I go first, I am just going to go into you. And I redeployed my suit squads and whatnot, uh, behind some, uh, obscuring that I had, uh, further back in my deployment. I had uh, two riptides on one flank and one riptide on the other flank. Uh, they weren't behind any obscuring. Uh, they're pretty big, and the obscuring pieces were one was kind of smallish, and the other one was maybe like a medium size. So, probably really difficult to hide them anyway. It's kind of a big model. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, he uh, he went first, and the very first thing he does is roll up with a, a land speeder and uh, fires multi melta at a riptide, uh, hits with both, wounds with both. I fail both saves. He proceeds to roll boxcar on, on the damage. Uh, the uh, first roll. <laughs> so are they that, twelve uh, wounds? 
What's that? Are they 12 wounds, the Riptides? Uh, 14. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he had two left. Uh, obviously, I didn't have, I couldn't have his first turn, so I didn't have a Nova Reactor on for like a Fiona Pain or anything. So this is probably the most vulnerable they're going to be the entire game. Uh, and yeah, that Riptide just basically disintegrated. Uh, and the other one, I think, got hit pretty hard as well. Uh, and he didn't really expose a whole lot, right? I maybe had on my turn one, I probably had like some decent shots on some land, uh, speeders. Uh, I could move up my suit squad, but I wasn't really going to get any nice shots, right? He knows Tau very well. That was the last army. I think he was playing, uh, other than blood angels. Um, so a lot of what I learned from Tao, ironically, was uh, watching him play Tao. <laughs> so yeah. he's very aware of what I'm trying to do and what my uh, threat range is. Uh, he's you know very aware of that, and he positioned very well. Uh, where you know it's like I move that suit unit up, measure eighteen. He's go figure, just out. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, he deployed very well, even though he had, uh, not a lot of obscuring to work with. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest of the game, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, just snowballs in his favor. Right. Uh, I, I try to get as much as I can, you know, do fire and fade with some, with the suits, get behind some crates, it's not obscuring. So, you know, I'm probably not going to be hidden from a retaliatory strike. And, uh, yeah, it just, his entire army basically just converged on me from there on out. He, he also had like, I think, uh, like multiple speeders in, um, reserve, uh, maybe like a few other units as well. I mean, he just has so many of these just really efficient, hard shooting units. He also had some like Vanguard vets that were positioned in the center. And I knew it was like, Oh man, like if I get close enough to him, I'm just going to get punished by Vanguard vets as well. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really seems like, you know, you've got a very difficult problem to solve here, right? Cause if you go second in this sort of, yeah, you know, this damage, gets funneled into you and you retaliate and you just kill a couple of land speeders and your entire army kind of collapses. So it's really awkward because not only does he have a similar amount of firepower here, but he has these little combat threats in the things like the Vanguard vets, but also the, the land speeder storms that have scouts and them are quite kind of a, a difficult problem to solve when you've got big crisis suit units, right? Cause killing the land speeders and the unit inside requires two shooting activations and once the riptides die, you lose one of the key pieces that can actually demechanize the um, the land speeders reliably because you only take a couple of flamers to you know to kill the scouts once they're out of the speeder. Oh, yeah. You can't kill them with one unit, right? You can't like single activation kill the transport and the unit inside. And that seems to me like as soon as the riptides start falling over, that becomes a really different problem to uh you know to, to deal with. Um, Absolutely. Do you think there's like a specific point where everything went wrong or was it all kind of the, the gamble on, on going first and not getting first that kind of set this up for, for failure, do you think? I think it went wrong in deployment, honestly, even terrain. I think if I had deployed the terrain, uh, like both obscuring pieces, uh, heavier to one flank and positioned it uh, a little forward, it would have been a little more difficult for him to 
you know, retaliate. Uh, but yeah, that's where it fell apart. I think was just at like uh, terrain deployment, and also, I mean, going second with how I had deployed everything was also not great. <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, I think that's where it was. Yeah, I spoke about this a little bit in our um, like some of the the coaching content we did for the Art of War before the LVO, and I think player place terrain is one of those sort of weird things where it's not really important to get it perfect because you're never really going to win the game off terrain placement, but you can definitely lose the game on terrain placement. So it's like, it's not about getting it perfect, it's about making sure you don't sort of monumentally stuff it up. I'm not suggesting you've monumentally stuffed it up, but I'm suggesting that, uh, you know, there are ways where you can deploy terrain just slightly wrong, and by turn three you realise, oh, crap, I've actually, you know, stuffed up my entire game because now I can't go here or I can't go here or I have no way to get to this objective safely. Um and like play play strains are a really big skill. And I know you sort of astutely mentioned it before that your opponent has um, like, you know, a lot of experience with that and is really good with the way they place their terrain. Uh, it's like a skill that not everyone gets to practice because not everyone plays on, on, on player place terrain. Right. And yeah. you know, it's almost as important as I'll say not as important as general shit, but it's like, it's, it's a real skill. You know, it's a skill that people can be good at or they can be not very good at. And if they're terrible at it, you can lose games because of that. So yeah, I think it's a really, um, you know, a, a really good point to make that if you're going to an event with player place terrain and you don't have much experience with it, that it's something you need to practice. I'm, I know before the LVO this year, I had one of my practice partners over at my place, and we had cardboard cutouts in the dimensions of like three of the different FLG tables, and we spent the better part of a day going through and like testing how you can deploy everything, just so we could make sure that we sort of had a rough idea. Now with like an Epticon where you've got different bits of terrain on every board and nothing is uniform. It's obviously very hard to, to do that. But I think this sort of is a, a good lesson for people going to events with player place terrain uh, in general, I think. Yeah. I, I feel like I had improved quite a bit with player place terrain. Um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of uh, help from like Eric players like Eric Forsman. You know, he's fantastic when he's doing player place terrain. I learned a lot from him. Uh, same with Oliver. Uh, both teammates and yeah, I think I just, uh, yeah, just messed that up entirely. I, I was doing pretty good the previous day, uh, with the first four games, uh, with the player place terrain, uh, you know, just, uh, doing the old thing where I, Eric does this a lot where, you know, he'll set down one and then he'll start kind of putting everything else around and he'll look at it and be like, I haven't placed anything down yet, but I'm, you know kind of placing everything around where I think I might want to put it and then start moving things around. He really like takes his time. I know it's like Oliver kind of does the same thing where just, you know, if you just slow down, take your time, think about like, okay, if I put this piece here, uh, I can set up uh, for like a turn two and jump over to this other piece of terrain that's 18 inches away, do a fire and fade. And then I'll be behind that piece, really start thinking about, you know, your placement, uh, in that, in that regard. I didn't do that in this game. <laughs> well, there you go. At least you can take, you know, a single key learning away from, uh, from this one, man. <laughs> if, if, if nothing else, <laughs> that's what you yeah. can go with. Um, anything else you want to ask, Blake? I feel like we've covered the, the matchup pretty well and I'm pretty keen to get stuck into our, our part two and talk about the list and talk about some other matchups. Is there anything else you want to cover off? I just want to make sure we haven't hammered down uh, what we're calling part two with you. Cause we haven't really touched on it lately. 
that's a good question, isn't it? I don't know. Where, where, where did we leave it off? I don't actually remember. I don't know, but I'm going to call it the Aussie Sundering. So get ready for the Aussie Sundering. It's uh, part two. It's uh, you, can't, you have to say Aussie right. It's like Z, not S. Aussie. Aussie. The Aussie Sundering. That was more British. Uh, Aussie Sundering, mate. Aussie Sundering, mate. That's pretty good. Okay, I'll give you a I'll give All you right. a, no, no, that one, that one wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you, you you were there for a second, right? But then you yeah you went and you you cocked it up. That's I hear you right. talk every week. I feel like I feel like I'm kind of hitting it. I'm gonna I'm gonna come and and blend in. I'm gonna be just like a um a spy in Australia. You know, everyone's gonna think that I'm actually Australian. Aussie, they're gonna go Aussie. Yeah, yeah mate. Well, thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, I'm real excited to get up with the part two here for the Aussie Sundering. Um, and uh, everyone, just buckle in because it's gonna be a real ride. Everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have the Art War Vanilla with Nick Nadavadi. We have the Art Award Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio. The flavor you didn't know you loved till you tried us. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Oh, I get back to this. Ah. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.